Thanks for tuning in to this message. My name is Jared Piney. I'm the online pastor here at Pathway, and I'm here with one of our worship directors and online hosts, Maddie Seitz. We hope this message is a valuable resource to you and helps you grow deeper in your faith. If you consider yourself a Christian and this message blesses you, I hope you'd consider giving back to us at Pathway so we can continue connecting all people to Jesus and helping them become his fully devoted followers. Learn more at pathwaychurch.com forward slash giving. And if you decide to take a step in your faith after the message today, simply visit pathwaychurch.com forward slash next so we can help provide you with resources and partner with you in this journey. Welcome everyone at all of our campuses. Those of you who are watching online, we're starting a new series this weekend. It's called The Heart of the Matter. And I want to ask, what are the things over the years that have stolen your heart? Now you may have to think about that for a moment. I had some time to process this week. I want to tell you, I remember as a kid, the first thing that I can really vividly remember stealing my heart was a BMX racing bike. I remember getting it Christmas morning. I remember riding all day. It was awesome. And then I remember as I grew up and I got a little bit older, I really wanted a muscle car. And so I began to beg as I was young, like, Dad, come on, this is the car that I want. And he delivered. I got a 77 Camaro. I'm telling you, that car got washed more than any car I've ever had in my life. You know, and this wasn't the Tommy's or club membership. This is old school, right? We're parking it out under the tree, bringing the hose out, washing it. And I'm giving you a shot here. I hope everybody's in tune. If you have not turned your spouse yet and say, it was you. You stole my heart and you're kind of behind. You need to wake up. Let's go. You know, there may be a, a house that stole your heart. You know, you saved and saved and saved and finally got that dream home. It may be some shiny toy. It may be the latest tech gadget. I don't know what it is, but as we travel through life, things still our heart. But I think we all could agree on this one. Man, our kids still our heart, don't they? I mean, kids still our heart. I can remember holding my first child, my daughter Gracie, and, and really all of my kids along the way. My kids stole my heart, but I want to tell you, they stole my money too. I, I want you to know, my kids have stolen my money. I'm going to give you a... Uh, a softball. I'm going to toss you a softball this morning. This is an easy one, I hope. I want to ask you, do you think it's more expensive to raise girls or boys? This is interactive. You can say, I'm listening. And if you said a boy, you obviously have never had girls. I just, you know. I mean, here's what the data says. <clears throat> the data says that girls are more expensive by this tune. $80 more a month to raise. 960 more dollars a year to raise, 
over the course of 18 years, by the time you get them out the door, $17,280. But who's counting, right? Me, I'm counting. Because I got three girls. You know, if you've never seen my crew, here they are. Uh, these are my girls and my little man. I'm telling you, my girls take after their mom and pray for Cole. You know, he kind of takes after me. But, you know, I, I'm telling you, it's an incredible amount to think when you start adding these expenses up. You know, for my girls, uh, I'll spend 51000 more dollars on them than I will my little man. And that's not even counting weddings and college. You know, there, there's all these things that go on. You know, it's tricky when your kids are young, too, to talk to them about money, to try to explain that concept to them. You know, it's really challenging today because we don't even put money out. We just have this plastic card, right? We have this plastic card that we go through and we buy things with. And I can remember when my girls were young, too, it, it didn't matter whether we were in the grocery store or we were at the mall. They were always asking for something. Can I have this? Can I have that? You remember this, parents? I mean, you go through it almost every time you're in the store. And at the end, if you don't get them something, what do they say? You never buy me anything. I'm like, have you seen your room? I bought you all that stuff. What are you talking about? And so as our kids were getting older, we really wanted them to understand what money was like. And really wanted them to be able to manage it, to be wise with it. And so Sarah and I began to pray. We began to talk together. What can we do to help this process? And so with Gracie, our first, we kind of laid out the blueprint. And here it was. We decided when our kids were 10 years old, we were going to cut them off. That's what we did. Somebody's write my name right down. I'm going to turn this guy in. Cut their kids out, you know. But that's what we did. We allowed them to make decisions about money. And so we decided how much we thought it would cost during those different stages for all of our kids rolling through this. And we said, we're going to give you this much at the beginning of the month. Now, they started to compare this figure with some of their friends that were getting allowances too. And they thought, this is great. Man, I'm getting a lot more money than my friend down the street or my friend at school. And then we lowered this. Yeah, here's the deal. You're in charge of everything. You know, the, the shampoo that you need, the clothes that you want. I mean, all those things you need and all those things you want, it's on you. I want to tell you, this is painful to watch at times. You know, my wife hates it with my little man because he doesn't care about deodorant at all. You know, I mean, he's like, I, I don't care. I don't need that. That costs money. You know, he'd rather have baseball cards. But we made a decision to do this. We made a decision to trust our kids with our money. And I want to make a connection with you. And here's the connection. God has done the same with you and I. You know, God has allowed us the privilege and responsibility of managing the money that he gives us in life. Now, that might sound weird to some of you. Some of you are like, you know, I, I don't know what you're talking about. Man, I pay my way. I earn it, I work hard for my money, and, and I don't doubt that at all. But I think we have to begin asking ourselves, where does God play in this equation? I mean, I mean, did God give you the smarts that you have? Did God give you the personality that you have? Did God open up doors for you? 
Did God help you get connected with people so you could actually climb the ladder to, to learn from them and grow, to get new position, new influence, new opportunities? I want to tell you, God did do that. God provided for you. And God gave you the opportunity to be responsible and to manage everything the way you think it needs to be managed. And there's only one thing God asks in return. In return, God asks that you give 10% of what he has given you back to him. God established this really early in the Bible. I'm going to show it to you here. It's actually in Leviticus. In Leviticus, this was part of the law that the Jews began to follow. Here's God's word. One-tenth of the produce of the land whether grain from the fields or fruit from the trees belongs to the Lord and must be set apart to him as holy. So back in the Old Testament, we find the people understanding and practicing this not as an idea, but as a habit. Now over the years in ministry, I've had a lot of a discussion, debate. I've heard a lot around this issue and many people say, you know, Todd, you're talking about Old Testament law. We're not bound by the Old Testament law. We have a new relationship with God. It's found in Jesus, so we don't have to follow the principle of the tithe, that 10%. I want to tell you, Jesus talks about the tithe in the New Testament as well, but he talks more about giving. He talks a lot more about giving. And what Jesus is doing in the New Testament is he's trying to reframe the way we think about the tithe. And Jesus wants us to understand the heart of the tithe. In fact, Jesus ups the ante in the New Testament. He says, hey, you know what? It's not just about you coming and giving. I'm not just after that resource. I'm after your heart. That's what I'm after. I want your heart to be engaged. I want you to look around you and see people that are in need and be willing to respond to that. I want you to value the mission of my church and what it's doing in this world. And as followers begin to catch on, they begin to understand this. In fact, I want you to look with me at one of his followers' words. Here's what he says. Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. Now, I want to tell you, I think this is one of the best pictures of giving in the Bible. In this new relationship we have with Jesus. And it's really here that Jesus says, you, you must decide where in your heart what you are going to give. He teaches here, hey, if, if you're going to give generously, you're going to receive generously. If you're going to be someone who wants to gather and wants to make sure you're accumulating and only give sparingly, then that's probably what you'll receive as sparingly. But, but I want you to know that I'm after your heart because at the end of the day, what Jesus wants is he wants you and I to give 
cheerfully. What God is looking for is for us to think about our resources and to find joy in the fact that we're able to give something. So how's it working out for you? I mean, is this something that you do that brings joy in your life? Or is it a habit that you reluctantly give to? Or is it something that you resist? I don't know what that looks like for you, but I can tell you here at Pathway Church, if we just look at the mark, if we just talk about the mark together, and that's fair as a family that we just say, let's evaluate ourselves. Let's not just learn about God's word, but let's evaluate ourselves and see if we're being obedient. This is what we know. There are half of the people that are a part of our family here at Pathway Church that give nothing at all. And I don't know why those people choose not to give. It may be that they walk into our buildings, these beautiful facilities that God has given us, and they say, you know what? It doesn't look like the church needs it. It it looks like they're doing okay. I'm not sure that I need to give. Or it may be that you give your time and you feel like that is good enough. You're like, I'm gonna give my time, I'm gonna give my skill, I'm gonna give my talent, but I'm not gonna give my money I'm not going to give my resources. It may be that anytime we talk about giving, and I can tell you this is true, I've watched it for decades, that if we do a precursor to giving, there's a lot of people who go, I don't want to talk about that. But I want you to know that God is after our heart. And I think sometimes in our church and in our country, people are used to accumulating. And this devotion of the heart, this matter of the heart, man, it's a really challenging thing to talk about. Why? Why is it so challenging? What is going on that this is one of the last things we allow the Lord to lead out in our life for many of us? Well, I want to uh, answer that question in this way. I want to tell a story. I want to ask you, if you would, to open up your Pathway app. If you're not there, I want to show you this passage in Matthew. You can follow along in your Bibles, too. In Matthew 14, we're going to look at this together. But I want to set it up as you're getting there. Here's what's going on. So John the Baptist has just been murdered. And I want to tell you, there's only a couple times in Scripture that Jesus is shaken. This is one of those times. Jesus is shaken. Jesus is at a point where he's like, man, I got to get away from everybody. I need space. I got to get some solitude. I got to get with the Father and pray. I mean, he's wrecked over this. And, And Jesus tries to push away from the crowds, but they continue to pursue him as they always did. And it says that as he goes and he sees the crowds following him once again, he chooses to have compassion. He has compassion, he brings healing to them, he begins to teach them, and he begins to teach them. The day goes longer and longer, and eventually they get to night, and they're out in this remote area. There's nowhere to go to eat, and the disciples say, man, we need to send the people away. Jesus is like, nope, we're going to feed them. They're like, what? Yeah, we're going to feed them. And that day, Jesus feeds 5,000 men. That's not women and children. So he probably feeds about 20,000 people in a state, honestly, of being just tired and weary. He's looking to give. So after the people get done with this party, and let's be honest, it was a party. 
You've been all day and you're like, I don't know where we're getting food and all the food comes and it's amazing. You're like, I'm staying here all night. It's to the late hours of the evening that Jesus finally pulls away from the crowd of his disciples. He sends his disciples by boat to the other side and he goes up to the hillside to pray. Many would say that Jesus is on a lookout point. He's able to see everything that's going on down at the Sea of Galilee. And, and these disciples, I want you to know this, many of us know this, that they're like great great fishermen. I mean, two of them were to inherit a business that their dad has set up for them. They, they love this. This is their life. They're good. They know where all the hot spots for fishing are. They know the weather patterns, the wind patterns. But two times in scripture, we see them at the point where they're ready to capsize the boat. They fear their lives. The first one is in the fourth chapter of Mark. In the fourth chapter of Mark, same thing. Jesus has been giving everything he can to the people. He gets to the point of exhaustion they're out on the water. He falls asleep in the back of the boat, and this storm rises. And as you've studied Scripture, you know these storms, they can come in quickly there off the Sea of Galilee, over the hills, down into the water. That mixture, that atmosphere stirs up storms quickly. And Jesus is asleep. The disciples are battling. They come to their wits' end, and they're like, man, we got to wake Jesus up. This is not going well. Ever felt like that in your life? They go to the back of the boat, they wake Jesus up, he wakes up, rubs his eyes, and demands that the wind and waves be still. Glass. These guys are more scared of Jesus now than they are of the wind and waves. Like, who is this guy that we're following? Well, here in Matthew 14, we find the second encounter where the disciples are kind of at this point, once again, I'm not sure what we're going to do here. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from the land, for a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting heavy waves. Now, one of the things I want to encourage you in the scripture, when you find a story in one of the gospels, I want to encourage you to go and try to find that story in the other gospels, because you'll get it kind of in HD then. You get more information. Now, John's account of the story would say this, the disciples have been fighting this storm for three to four hours. And so it would put them about in the middle of the lake, the Sea of Galilee there, called both. So they're in the middle of the lake, the sea, they're battling this wind and waves. And as they're battling and concerned, I mean, they're like, man, this is like difficult. We're afraid. We're not sure what to do. I mean, the party is just broken up. Once again, they're battling the waves. And here's what it says next. Listen to what Matthew says. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage, I am here. Man, sometimes we've got to put ourselves in the story, right? I mean, you're out there, you're battling, you've been going at it for hours, and all of a sudden you see this figure walking on the water. You think there was some conversation in the boat? I mean, there was some conversation that you see what I see? Are we dreaming this up? What, what's going on here? And Jesus asserts himself. Man, take courage. I'm here. I want you to think about that for a moment. I think that's what Jesus wants you to know in your life. There's an amazing thing that happens. There's one guy in the boat while the others are fearing for their life that decides it's a good idea to ask Jesus if he can come out on the water. 
Peter says, Lord, if it's you, call me out on the water. And you know what Jesus says? Come on out. Come on out. And Peter steps over the side of the boat and he begins to walk on the water. Man, I think sometimes we read stories like this and almost rubs a soft spot. We're like, yeah, that's all the information I know. I want you to put yourself there. I want you to think about how much trust it took Peter to step over the side of the boat and to walk on the water. You know, Peter, he gets tagged a lot as this impulsive disciple, this follower who had a problem with his temper. I want to tell you, he is brilliant here. And Peter is the first man in. He's the one that came up with ideas like, that looks pretty cool. I think I want to come and be a part of that. And he steps over the side of the boat. So I have to ask, what do you need to step over to trust Jesus more? That's part of the application for us today. It's to stop and take time and say, what do I need to do? How can I trust Jesus more so I can step over the side the boat in my life? Here's the question, what's your obstacle? What's the thing that's holding you back? You know, maybe it's honestly just a conversation with your spouse. You guys need to be on the same page. You, you need to dig into scripture and you need to study, you need to pray, you need to understand what God is calling you to do so that you can trust him more. So you can make steps together. It may be also for you that you need to sit down and you've got to look at your expenses. And you've got to kind of go, you know, where can we cut back? What are we willing to surrender so we can trust Jesus more by giving him our resources so he can do only what he can do. So he can build his kingdom here on earth. I'm going to be willing to surrender so I can invest in that. Maybe it's just that you need to spend time allowing Jesus to inspect your heart. There might need some, to be some heart work that has to happen in your life to get you the position that you can trust more. You know, you, you kind of know, for those of you who read the story, what happens next. I mean, Peter is there. He's walking on the water. I don't know how long it lasts. In my heart of hearts, I want to say I hope it lasts a long time. But he's out there. Man, he's enjoying this moment with Jesus. I mean, this is an incredible moment. Can you imagine how long you would tell this story? I mean, you'd be telling your friends. You'd be telling anyone who would listen. This is an incredible story. But eventually, Peter takes his eyes away from Jesus. Instead of looking at Jesus, he looked at the wind and the waves. And what does he do? He begins to sink. And I don't know how that happened. Did he begin to sink a little bit where at some point he just ankles in, knees in, chest in, but he's sinking there and he's smart enough to do this. He's learned enough to cry out to Jesus. I want to ask you, have you learned enough have you experienced enough in life that when you're sinking, you can cry out to Jesus, knowing that he is the only one who can help you? He's the only one who can rescue you. And I love scripture, because here's what it says. This is Matthew's account, who was in the boat. He's retelling the story now. He says, Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. 
I think when we hear stories like this, man, we should like cheer. <laughs> I mean, you know, th- this is victory. You know, this is good stuff. This is the gospel. This is the good news of who Jesus is, that when you are faltering in life, when you are sinking in life, he's going to reach down and pick you up and pull you out of the thing you could never overcome. Amen? I mean, that's good stuff. I love that about Jesus. I love it that Jesus didn't let Peter just sit there in the water, just dog paddle, just try to figure it out. Jesus reached down and he pulled him up and he set him on solid ground. Man, I've often wondered about the water experience. You know, when Peter stepped over the side of the boat, was it solid at the beginning? Was it like walking on a trampoline? Regardless of what it was like, Peter has this moment that is so incredible, followed by an oh crap moment. Let's just be honest. And I want to be honest about this too. That's what life is like. I mean, one day you're killing it, and the next day you're blowing it. Anybody relate to that? I mean, if it's like one day, man, you are on it, everything is going great, and then one day you're like, oh, goodness, man, I don't know what I'm supposed to do here. About six years ago, Sarah and I decided through prayer, through time talking together, we'd make a decision at a generosity initiative to give more money than we had ever given our life. I mean, we prayed. God gave me this figure. I said, no way. <laughs> We prayed again, he gave me the same figure. I said, you're crazy. We prayed, he gave me the figure, and I said, okay. And so we chose for two years to give an amount of money which we had never given in our life. And I want to tell you what, after we made that decision which we believed in, we trusted in, we were so excited about, we got hammered. (laughs) I'm I'm not telling you we got hammered a little bit. We got hammered hard financially. It was the first week of our commitment. The very first week of our commitment, everything that could break, leak, run down, it all happened together at one time. $10,000 of unexpected expenses. And I remember going, Jesus, I thought you were on my side. (laughs) I thought we were in this together. I mean, I heard from you. I trusted. I wrote it down. I'm committed. And I remember having that like win and wave moment. I want you to know when you step out to trust, and when you step out in trust, you need to expect a gust. That's what I learned that day. I learned that when I step out in trust, the enemy doesn't like it. And I learned when I step out in trust, Satan is going to come against me. He's going to come against us and try to get us to concentrate on all the things around us and take our eyes off Jesus and focus our eyes on that. But here's the cool thing that happened. Out of that experience and out of our willingness to trust Jesus not to quit, to be willing to press through, we got bolder. We got bolder in our desire to allow us to do radical things because we knew Jesus had us. We knew we were never outside of his grasp. We were never outside of his reach. And so we're like, Lord, if we can do that and that comes our way, man, we'll be okay. It'll work out. I want you to consider this. I want you to consider the fact that you have trusted Jesus. You've trusted him for your forgiveness. You've trusted him to rescue you. You've trusted him with eternity. What's money? Right? Right? I mean, we're talking about resources. If God can 
take care of all that in your life, he's going to take care of you. And we're going to have this uh, kind of a verse that's going to be our navigation for this series. It's kind of going to be true north for us. It's David's words. He says this in Psalm 51, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. I love looking at different translations. If you go to the NLT, it says create a loyal spirit within me. This idea of steadfast, this idea of loyal, this idea of unwavering spirit in me, that's what we're after. We want God to create a new heart in us, a pure heart, a heart of courage, so we can be unwavering in our trust of him. I want to tell you, when God does cool things in the midst of the storms of our life, it does change your heart. It allows you to be more courageous. You know, I'm excited about this. I want to tell you, we're going to do a 90-day heart challenge, 90-day heart challenge at the very end of this month as we wrap up this series. And I'm asking you this, would you come along? Would you come along and allow God to work at your heart? Because really, the giving will take care of itself. It's about our heart first. Will you allow yourself to trust in your heart that God can do what you can't? And and whether that's just mentally getting over a figure, whether that's mentally being willing to surrender something and, and allow your life to follow in that surrender, whatever it is, I'm just asking, would you be willing to come along? You know, and for some of you, you kind of recognize, once again, because you've heard it a long time, that the tithe, an Old Testament principle, is the floor. It's the floor for us. It's really about giving in a generous spirit. And you may look at that and go, man, there's no way I could hit 10%. I just want to encourage you to start. For some of you, for half of you, it's time to start. Whatever your giving is going to be, it's time to start that journey. For others of you who may be giving 10%, you may be comfortable, and it's time to challenge your heart to move out of comfort. There may be some of you that God's going to say, I want you to give radically. I'm going to give you something that is going to be like a walking on the water experience. And I want to say this too, as we do this 90-day challenge, I want to encourage you to give to the family that you're a part of. We're on a mission here together. We are a family. God's church, Pathway Church, is a family. And I want to encourage you to support the family, support the mission, knowing that God is going to do things here in our community, our city, our nation, and around the world. And I want you to be a part of it. I don't want this just to be a church that you come to. I want this to be your church, our church, dedicated to it. Here's what I know. I know through Jesus God is doing great things in our church. He's transforming lives. He's changing people. And I want you to see the story of Sarah, who attends our Goddard campus, and how her kids and the ministry that's going on there to her kids open up the doorway, and how God is now working at changing her to trust him more. Check this out. I'm Sarah Leland. I live here in Goddard. I'm a single mom. I have an 18-year-old son and an 11-year-old daughter. A few years ago, my son started going to High School Ignite. 
with some of his friends and he really found a good place for him. And I noticed the changes. Just over a year ago, he um, came to us and said he was gonna be baptized at High School Ignite. And I said, that's awesome. So we came, we watched, and it was amazing. My daughter and I discussed, why don't we start going to Pathway? Henley had started going to Ignite for middle schoolers, and we both decided to get baptized. The Give One campaign happened, and I had been meaning to donate, and I was just kind of like, I donate my time, money's tied, I'm a single mom, you know, I have this for my kids, that for my kids. And I just never really did it. And one Sunday, I didn't make it to church, and I was sitting at home, and I watched the service, and I just thought, you know, am I really sacrificing? Am I really giving anything? I give a couple hours a week for the neighborhood and Ignite, but I enjoy those things. And I also enjoy having a glass or two of wine a night. And that's something, do I really need that? No. Yeah, it's nice it's comforting it's my this is how I relax but I didn't need that and I said you know what I need to stop that I sat down and I said figured out in my budget because I'm a huge budgeter how much do I spend every month purchasing that and bringing it home and putting it in my fridge I sat down and I figured it out and I said you know what that's what I'm going to start giving every month and then when I get the urge to go buy that wine. I have that accountability and God speaks to me then and he says, no, remember, you're giving that money to me for something better. God has taken care of me every day since he knew of me and I need to trust him to continue to take care of me. Isn't that awesome? Man, I want to tell you, God is going to take care of you. God is going to take care of you you can trust in him. And we have a choice to make in life. We can continue to accumulate these things. We can continue to allow our lives to be the lives that we're trying to build. Or we can say, I'm going to step over the side of the boat and I'm going to be willing to let God do his work through the change in my heart through my investment in his kingdom. And so I just want to encourage you to be willing to have courage, to know that Jesus is right there and that he will follow you each step of the way. Man, I just want to ask everyone if they would bow their heads. I just want us to reflect together. I want us to reflect on what God could do with a changed heart. I want us to reflect together what God could do with a heart that was unwavering, that was steadfast. And I simply have this question to ask everyone. And I'd like everyone to respond one way or the other. At all of our campuses, if you are willing to allow God to deal with your heart, to grow your heart, if you're willing to go on that 90-day challenge, that heart challenge, I want you to raise your hand right now. At all of our campuses, raise your hand. This is if you're willing to come along. If you leave your hand down, you're not. But if you're willing to come along, I want you to raise your hand. If you're watching online, you can just type in there, me. And I just want us to declare right here at the start of our series, we're going. We're going together. I thank you for being willing to go, on, go along with us.
on this journey and see what God is going to do. And so I want to pray for us, that God would use this series, that he would use these days to allow us to continue to be transformed. So Father, I come and I thank you so much for the privilege. I thank you for the privilege of being able to be a people that you continue to grow and guide and strengthen. And I pray through this series, Lord, and through this season, that you may grow us in ways that we'll be amazed at. Lord, that you grow us as a church, you grow us individually, and it would be great for your kingdom and for your name. You know, I also want to uh, ask this as everyone is still reflecting with their heads bowed. Have you accepted Jesus's rescue? Are you sinking in the water of life and are you feel that it's time to give up? I want you to know that Jesus is right there and if you feel like it's time to give up, all you need to do is call out. And the word of God teaches us that he will reach down and he will rescue you and pull you up out of your sin and set your feet on solid ground. And if that's you and you know you need to make that decision, man, today all I want you to do is pray this prayer, a prayer of surrender, and to know that after that, this church, this family is gonna walk with you and it's gonna be the greatest thing you could ever experience. So if that's you, you know you need to make that decision, you know you need to surrender, I want you to pray this prayer. Just follow me in the stillness of your heart. Father, I thank you so much. I thank you that in the midst of feeling overwhelmed, in the midst of sinking in my sin and the decisions that I make, in the midst of the anxiety and stress of life that you've taught me today that all I need to do is cry out to you and you will reach down and pull me up. The Lord, you will set me on a firm foundation. And so Jesus, I ask you, I surrender to you. Would you save me? I want to be able to have the courage to walk with you each and every day. So Jesus, I give my life to you. You know, with everybody's head still bowed, if you pray that prayer for the very first time, I want you to raise your hand. If you're at one of our campuses right now, raise your hand as a declaration that you prayed that prayer, that you reached out and you desired Jesus to come in and be your savior, your leader, the only one who can rescue you. If you're watching online, all you need to do is type me there in the comment section because we wanna be a church that will continue to follow you after this decision. And so Father, I just thank you. I thank you for all the decisions that were made today. I thank you for those that were willing to go on this 90 day challenge. I thank you for those that have confessed their need to surrender to you, who have asked you to save them, to help them, Father, experience what it's like to walk with you. And so Jesus, we're grateful. We're grateful for the invitation to be led by you. And I pray, Lord, in these coming days, I pray through this series that you'll lead us in a powerful way for your glory and your kingdom. It's in your name that we pray, Jesus. Amen.